Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, reading there in the fourth chapter, verses 22 and 24. That she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and that she put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house. And you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. I realize, friends, that this Sunday morning is a rather dismal morning, but it is the day which the Lord hath made, and it should be a day in which you and I rejoice and that we are glad in it. And I hope and pray that all of us who are here in church, or you who are listening by means of the radio, that we are very happy that we are worshiping at this time. Uh, you heard me mention at the lectern that today is the 19th Sunday after Trinity. And that means that in the early Christian church, in the early centuries, on this Sunday, the epistle that was read was taken out of Paul's letter to the congregation at Ephesus and Asia Minor. You recall that when Paul was on his third missionary journey, he came to Ephesus and Asia Minor. He spent three years there, and he did the most marvelous work of his marvelous career, establishing a very flourishing congregation at Ephesus. Years later, when he was in jail in Rome, he wrote this letter to the congregation at Ephesus. And in the epistle lesson for this Sunday, which is being read or which has been read of, in hundreds of thousands of liturgical churches in the world, today, this is what he is saying to them. He is saying, listen, Ephesian Christians, I beg you and I plead with you that ye put off concerning the conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and he says, I beseech you that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In other words, he was saying, Ephesians, you are Christians now, and I call upon you and I plead with you, put off the old man put on the new man. Will you please stop living according to the old man, to your old self, according to your old nature, which is corrupt and which is deceitful and which is lustful, and will you put on the new man? Will you start to live according to your new self, according to your new nature? Will you live as God lives? Will you live in righteousness and will you live in holiness? In other words, he was calling to them and he was saying, will you turn from sinful living Christians and will you turn to holy living and because this is the text that we are preaching on this morning the Apostle Paul in this 20th century he calls to you and he calls to me as Christians and he says this will you put off the old man and put on the new man will you stop living according to the old man your old self your old nature and will you live according to your new self will you live the way God lives, will you live in holiness and righteousness? In other words, he says, listen, Christians, I beg of you and I call you, will you turn from sinful living and will you turn to holy living? And you know, whenever somehow or other we have a call from the word of God as regards our Christian life, that somehow or other there's a little 
little quirk comes into our minds at times and we'd rather brush this thing off as being rather irrelevant and not very important and we say, uh, what's the need that you and I should turn from sinful living and we should turn to holy living as Christians? And we may say, it can't be very important because after all, we aren't saved by our life and we aren't, are we? We may say, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and therefore if I have faith in Christ, I can't see that it is a matter of life and death how I live. Whether I put off the old man and put on the new man, it doesn't seem so desperately important to me and that this is so consequential that in my Christian life that I shall turn from sinful living and I shall turn to holy living. If I'm saved by faith in Christ, what difference does it make how I live? And we may also say, besides when you put a halo on your head, where is there any fun in life? Well, the Apostle Paul would like to talk to you and me about that little quirk and about, again, the fact that we like to brush this thing off about our Christian life. And Paul says, I call upon you as Christians and I urge you, will you please turn from sinful living and turn to godly, holy living? And Paul says, this is a matter of life and death. This is a very important thing in life for this reason. That Paul says, I know, as you know, that we aren't saved by our lives, that we are saved by faith in Christ. But Paul says, I want you to know, Christians, that there is a faith in Jesus Christ that saves, and there is a faith in Jesus Christ that damns you and me. There is a faith in Jesus Christ that will cause Christ at the last day to disown you and me, that will cause Christ to repudiate you and me, that will cause him to spew you and me out of his mouth to say, I vomit you out of my mouth. And you know, that may be a surprise to you and me. You may say, Preacher, are you saying that it is possible to have a faith in Jesus Christ and to be repudiated by him at the end of time? And that's exactly, you have me right. And that's exactly what St. Paul would want you and me to know. There is a faith in Christ that saves, and there is also a faith in Jesus Christ that damns that will cause Christ to say, I spew you out of my mouth. I don't know you. You make me sick to my stomach. I vomit you from my mouth. And we may say this morning, what kind of a faith is that? Unless you and I may misunderstand, Paul says, I'll tell you what kind of a faith that is. It's this kind of a faith in Christ. When you have a faith in Jesus Christ that fails to turn you, Paul would remind you and me, that fails to turn you and me from sinful living, and when you and I have a kind of faith in Jesus Christ that fails to turn us to holy living, that's the kind of a faith that will condemn you and me and cause your Lord and mine to spew us out of his mouth. And we may say, is that true? that I must therefore make it a matter of life and death, that I can't brush this thing off, that even though I am a Christian, I must turn from sinful living, and I must turn to holy living, because if I don't, that means that I have a faith that will condemn me, and that my Lord will spew me out of his mouth as vomit when I stand before him at the last day. That's true. And for this reason in the first place, 
Paul reminds you and me that such a faith, that kind of a faith that fails to turn you and me from sinful living to holy living, Paul says that kind of faith is no less than a dead faith. It's worthless. It's good for nothing. It's anything but a saving faith. I'd like to ask you as I ask myself this morning, what kind of a faith in Jesus Christ do you have? Do you and I say, well, I believe that he's my Lord. I believe that he's the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. I believe he came into the world and that he died on the cross and that he died on the cross and took hell and damnation away for me. I believe that he died for my sins. And you and I may say, well, we all believe that as Christian. But do you have this kind of a faith that even though you believe in him, that it's the kind of a faith whereby we continue to live in deliberate sin and we do not turn to holy living? What kind of a faith do you call that? The only answer would be that you and I would have to say that must be a dead faith. If we have a faith that says, I believe in Christ, but we are still in the mire of living in our vomit, and I use that word advisedly, if you and I say, I believe that Christ came to save me from the vomit of sin, but in your life and mine, we are reveling in that vomit and enjoying it, Pray, God, what kind of a faith in Jesus Christ is that? And you and I would have to say it's a deader than a doornail faith. If we have a faith and we are, again, not turning from deliberate sin into our lives, then we are living in the vomit of sin and enjoying it. And a faith that can't get you and me to turn from vomit when we say we have accepted Christ as Savior is a dead faith. And that kind of a faith is the faith that damns and that will cause Christ to repudiate you and me. He will spew us out of his mouth at the last day because that kind of a faith is the kind of a faith that has slammed the door of your heart and mind to him that we've never let him get in. If your faith this morning and mine in Jesus Christ is that kind of a faith, that it fails to turn us from sinful living to holy living, then it's a dead faith. And it simply means this, that we have locked our heart and that the farthest Christ has come in your life and mine is just in our head. That's as far as he's gotten. He has never gotten into your heart and mine. We're speaking about a faith then that only has come to our head. It has never opened the heart and we have never allowed Jesus Christ to come in because let me assure you, when Christ rules in your heart and mine as Savior, there is no more loving the vomit of sin. You and I turn from it. And that's why Paul says, listen, Christians, as he spoke to the Ephesians, he said, this is a matter of great consequence. It's a matter of life and death. I plead with you. Will you put off the old man and put on the new man? Will you turn from sinful, deliberate living and turn to holy? And Paul says, you've got to do that because... A faith in Jesus Christ that allows you to do that is a faith that is spurious. It's a faith that will cause him to condemn you at the last day and spew you out of his mouth. And therefore, when we realize that there is a faith in Christ that saves and there's also a faith in Jesus Christ that damns, that causes Christ to spew you and me as vomit from his mouth, then we ought to determine today to say, I am going to turn from sinful living as a Christian to holy living. And then we ought to determine right now to say, these are the things that I am doing in my life deliberately. These are the things that I know that are wrong. 
this is the vomit that I like, and this is the vomit that I have simply lived in and have enjoyed. Now, he mentions, Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, some of their vomit. He says, now, putting away lying, some of them, again, were guilty of gross lies. He says, turn away from lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Is this the thing that you're doing? Or he says again, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Be angry, but don't let it bring you into hatred. Is it hatred that is bothering you? Or if you have been one who has stolen, and that's a very common practice, as you and I know, in the Middle East, if you have stolen, let him that stole steal no more. But in your life and mine, if we are going to Calvary and we're going to say this morning, I am going to lay at the cross every deliberate sin in my life, the vomit that I love, what would it be? Is it immorality? Is it incest? Is this it? Is it pornography? Is it contempt for government? Is it drunkenness? Is it dope? Is it, again, the acid? Is it marijuana? What is it? You and I ought to say, if I am living in deliberate sin, then my faith is the faith that will damn me. And if we lay it at the foot of the cross this morning, and oh, it hurts, doesn't it? It's like cutting off a person's arm. What is it in your Christian life and mine that is wrong? And yet we say, oh, I have faith in Christ. But that faith fails to turn you and me from deliberate sinful living. We ought to say this morning, unless I want my Lord to spew me out of his mouth at the last day, I must lay it at his cross. And then and only then do we have the evidence that our faith in Christ is a saving faith. The faith in Christ that saves is the faith that takes you and me, that we turn from sinful living into holy living. And when there is the evidence of a saving, living faith, then there is this joy, that there will be no disillusionment at that last day. Can you imagine anything more frantic, friend, than for you and for me to go on in life and say, how I live doesn't make much difference to God. He doesn't care. I'm not saved by my life. I'm saved through faith in Christ. And say, I believe in Christ. I believe in to have a kind of a faith that damns not the kind of faith in Christ that again that saves a debtor than a doornail faith. No Christ in the heart. Nothing but a matter of the head. Only at the last day when Christ looks at you and me to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I will spew you out of my mouth. You are bound in my sight. No greater catastrophe can come in your life and mine than that disillusionment to say, I thought I was saved. And here the Lord turns and says to me, I absolutely disown you. You are vomit in my mouth. We ought to stand today and lay it at the cross. It's the most tremendous thing in your life and mine. No wonder, Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he said, Will you put off the old man and put on the new man? This is a matter of life and death. This is the greatest and the most important thing in your life, Christians. He said, Will you turn from sinful living to holy living? And he says, You've got to do it. This must be done. This is an essential. Because, Paul says, I know that we're not saved by our life and we're saved by faith in Christ. But he reminds them, Listen, there is a faith in Christ that saves, but there is a faith in Christ that doesn't save. There is a faith in Jesus Christ that damns because it's a dead faith. 
And so he calls to you and me and says, Turn, will you turn from sinful living to holy living? And all because Paul says, Again, yours may be a faith that will cause you to be condemned and that Christ will spew you out of his mouth. You and I will say, is that true? And Paul reminds us in the second place that that is true because Paul reminds us that such a faith, the kind of a faith that you and I say we have in Christ, that fails to turn us from sinful, deliberate living when we know that it's wrong to holy living. Paul says that kind of faith means this, that your faith is simply an unrepentant faith. It's good for nothing. It's worthless. Anything but a saving faith. Again, what kind of a faith you and I have in Christ? Oh, everybody within the sound of my voice can say, Oh, I believe in Christ. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he's the Savior. I believe he died on the cross. But what kind of a faith do you and I have? Let's, do we have the kind of a faith uh, that fails us, that it doesn't turn us from sinful living, that it doesn't turn us to holy living? And if that's the kind of a faith you and I have, it's an unrepentant faith. But you may say, wait a minute, preacher, I am sorry for my sins. What do you mean, sorry for sins? What we're saying to God, if you and I have not turned from sinful living, we may say, oh, I'm sorry. We may say, God, I tell you every day I'm sorry. I even cry over my sins. But what are we saying? We're saying, God, I'm still reveling in the vomit of sin. And I make no effort to get out of it. And in the vomit of sin, I'm saying, oh, I'm sorry. And I even cry. And I tell you, oh, God, I'm so sorry. But I don't get out of the vomit. Pray, God, what kind of repentance is that? When you and I cry tears of repentance and yell we're sorry and we're not sorry enough to get out of the vomit, that is not repentance. There isn't anything. That's a case of crocodile tears. If in your life and mine you cry every day and we say, God, I'm sorry, and tomorrow we continue to revel in the same vomit of sin that we reveled in today, you can yell sorry and sorry for eternity, and you and I can say, oh God, I even cry over it. That's an unrepentant faith, and an unrepentant faith means that at the last day your Lord and mine will look at you and me and he will say, I repudiate you, I spew you out of my mouth, you are vomiting my mouth. Why? Because we're playing him for a fool. When we think that in exchange for a few tears, and in exchange for saying, I'm sorry, and yet continuing to revel in the vomit of sin, that Christ is going to say to you and me at the last day, you are saved, you can come into my kingdom and live with me. You and I are badly mistaken. Don't play him for a fool, friend. Don't play him for a fool as though we can pull the wool over his eyes and that he's going to take that. Remember what he said one day? He said this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he says, You can yell sorrow all you want to, and I'm sorry. You can weep all the tears you want to, but as long as you stay and you revel in the vomit of sin and you don't turn from it, that sorrow and that titear, that sham, that means nothing. That isn't repentance. That ought to mean this in your life and mine, that of the greatest moment today as Christians is this, that we put off the old man, that we stop living according to our old nature, our old self, our old corruption, and that we live according to our new self, our new nature, that we live as God lives in holiness and righteousness, and that ought to mean that we determine today that that's the way we're going to live. We are going to turn from deliberately sinning 
We are going to turn and live like God lives in holiness and in righteousness. And some of you young friends may say, Preacher, what fun is there in living with a halo around your head? What fun is there in putting a halo on and getting it too tight? Where is there any fun in halo living? Let's look at David for a moment. Would you like, young friends, to look at somebody who tried both? There was David, you know, when he tried unholy living. When he looked at Bathsheba, you know, and he had her come over and they were guilty of an illicit relationship. And again, when she was going to have a child, then David ended up by killing her husband. But David describes some of those moments. You'd say, young friends, he was really happy because he sure didn't have a halo on his head at that time. And yet when David talks about it, he says his bones waxed old through his roaring all the day long. He couldn't sleep and he couldn't eat. His conscience troubled him and just simply nagged him that again life wasn't worth living until finally after Nathan came and pointed out his sin, then he and Bathsheba, they turned from deliberate sinning and they turned to live as God lives. He didn't put her away, no. She was his wife. She was carrying an unborn child of which he was the father. But he and Bathsheba decided at that moment that now we're going to live as God wants us to live. We're going to live holy lives. We're going to live righteous lives. And what happened? There came joy into their life because later he was the man who could write, The Lord is my shepherd. The Word of God says he was a man after God's own heart. He was the one that could say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He was the one who then saw that here was a living faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And here was one that had discomfort that even when death was so close that he could see his shadow, he didn't have to be afraid anymore. It was a conscience at rest. Remember General Douglas MacArthur when it was a spiritual matter, a matter of conscience as to the way the conduct of the war should go in the Far East. And because it was a spiritual thing to him according to his conscience and he couldn't go against it, he was fired, wasn't he? But what did he say? He said this, God give me the courage to do the right as I see the right. And he wouldn't compromise that conscience and he lived the way he thought God wanted him to live. And he took being fired, but he had his integrity. There was peace within. Let me assure you, young friends, that when there is halo living in keeping in the way God lives in holiness and righteousness, and you've got peace down in here, and no longer a nagging conscience, and you aren't afraid to die. Let me tell you, young friends, that's happiness. That's a life worth living. General MacArthur knew that. And the last chapter hasn't been written on a noble character like that man. Because again, he knew there was only one way to live. That was to live as God would show him how to live. The Apostle Paul speaks to you and me about the Christian life. 
And I know that there's a little quirk that comes into our Christian experience and we brush it off and we say, well, as long as I've got faith in Christ, what's the difference how I live? It doesn't make too much difference whether I continue in delivered sin or whether I live a holy life because after all, as long as I believe in Jesus and Paul says, listen, Christian, I want you to know and write it on your soul that there is a faith in Christ that saves, but there's a faith in Christ that damns. It can't save. There's a faith in Christ that will cause him to repudiate you and vomit you from his mouth at the last day. And you and I say, what kind of a faith is that? And Paul says, it's this kind. It's the kind of a faith whereby it fails to get you and me to turn from sinful living to holy living and that kind of a faith, Paul reminds you and me also, it's no less than a dishonest faith. It's absolutely worthless. It is of no value whatsoever and it can't possibly save. If you and I have this kind of a faith that we say, oh, I believe in Christ. Oh, I'm a Christian. He's my Lord and he's my Savior. But if looking in your life and mine this morning, you and I say, but I'm still reveling in the vomit of sin. I haven't changed a bit. I haven't put off the old man. I'm living according to the lusts of my own heart. I haven't turned in holy living. Then you and I must say, that kind of a faith is most horribly dishonest. You may say, what do you mean by that? I mean this. What we're saying then, if your faith and mine doesn't turn us from the vomit of sin, we're saying, listen, Christ, I'll tell you what my faith means in you, Lord. I look to you to save me from the punishment of sin. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to, again, to be separated from your mercy forever. But I don't want you to save me from the power of sin. We're saying, Lord, I'd rather like this vomit. Really, I do. If you're going to save me from its power and take me out of it, don't do it right now. I'll wait a little bit. I'm having too much fun. But save me from the punishment of it. In other words, Lord, I want my cake, but I want to eat it too. I don't want to be punished, but I want to revel in my vomit. I, I like it that way. You mean to tell me that that kind of a faith saves? Paul says, if you've got that kind of a faith, a dishonest faith, you can know this, that he will repudiate you at the last day because that kind of a faith means that the only reason we want Christ, we look upon him as the lesser of two evils. It simply means this, here is Christ and here is Satan. And what we're saying then, if we're reveling in our bomb, we're saying, Satan, uh, I, I don't want you because if I go to hell with you, I've got to suffer. I don't want that. And Jesus, I, I really don't want you either because if it's halo living, I'm afraid I'll get awfully bored in heaven. But after all, Jesus, I think I'd rather be bored in heaven with you than to suffer in body and soul in hell. So I'll tell you, Jesus, I'll give you a big break. I'm going to choose you as the lesser of two evils. That's what it means. And let me tell you, is it any wonder that Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth. When you and I let Jesus Christ play second fiddle in your life and mine, that's the kind of a faith that damns, and let's not forget it. That's why Paul calls and he says, it's of the utmost importance, it's a matter of life and death, that as Christians you turn from sinful living to holy living, and when you and I say, I must because otherwise, the faith that I've got's a sham. The faith that I've got will mean repudiation at the last day. And to lose my soul would be tragic. Then we ought to say, Lord, I, I'm going to have this kind of a faith that's going to turn me from sinful living. It's going to turn me to holy living like God wants me to live. And I'm going to see that I grow. 
in that kind of holy living. I wonder how many of you this last week, I wonder how many of you heard the cry of a broken-hearted father in this country. A broken-hearted father in this country last week, he stood before the broken body of his youngest child, Diane, 20 years of age. She, last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, threw herself from the sixth floor of her apartment house onto the ground. This broken-hearted father stood over this youngest of five children. And it reminded me of David when he stood over his son Absalom, who was dead. Remember David said, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God I could have died in your stead. And Ark Linkletter stood over the broken remains of Diane and cried, Oh, Diane, Diane, my child, my child, would to God I could have died in your stead. Did you hear him? Art Linkletter became a preacher last week, didn't he, the radio and TV entertainer? A broken-hearted father. Yes, he had had LSD. And under the influence of that poison, it cast herself from that window. And then Art Linkletter said, I'm not going to keep still. I'm not going to cover this up. I am not going to hush hush. I'm going to talk. And then he started to talk and he said, Mrs. Linkletter and I have tried to have a Christian home and that's what we've had. We have set a good example by being good examples for our children. We have done everything that we thought a Christian father and mother should do. But after all, I guess it wasn't enough. And then he went on to talk about Diane, but he said she was the daring one. She wouldn't listen. When she would go out, she didn't come in when she was told to come in, and she would rather take the lashing than to be in on time. She again dared them. And he said again when it came to dope, when he asked her, are you taking dope? And she said no, that she had, but she would never touch it again. But again she did, he said. Then he cried out and he said, listen, are we doing all that we can? He said, there were times when she came home and she talked to me and she talked to her mother and she was telling what other girls were doing and he said, I guess we didn't realize that it was her own soul crying out what she was doing. And I realize what he means there because I've had some of you boys and girls in to talk to me. And after you left, I realized when you were telling about what other boys and girls were doing, I was too dumb, I was too dense, I didn't realize it was your own soul crying to me. And you were saying, help me, I'm talking about myself. Will you forgive me? Linkletter didn't realize it either. And then he comes out and he says, I'm calling. He said, can you do your best? He says, we've got to do more. We've got to tell our kids this thing is wrong. We've got to go out and we've got to do it every day. We can't stop. We've got to say, you can't live that way. Art Linkletter became a preacher over the dead remains of his child. Oh, Diane, Diane, 
My child, my child, would to God that I could have died in your stead. You fathers and mothers that are in church this morning with your kids, may I say to you, there isn't anything more important in the world than you could be doing right now than what you're doing. And over the radio, may I say, you fathers and mothers that aren't in church with those kids, may I say, why aren't you? Why aren't you there? You ought to crawl with those children. This world's mean. It's contemptible. Art Linkletter is preaching now. He's saying, Mom and Dad, there's nothing more important than that you be an example and you set one and don't stop telling them that it's wrong. He's preaching now. Why aren't you? The most important thing in the world, Dad and Mom, is being in church with those kids on Sunday. If you don't believe it, talk to a broken-hearted father, Art Linkletter. Oh, Diane, Diane, my child, my child, would to God that I could have died in your stead. Listen, parents, it's a matter of life and death that you and I have a living faith in Jesus Christ and that we exemplify it that our kids at the last day will not be spewed from the mouth of Jesus as vomit, but that they may spend an eternity with you and me. Oh, on the glory road to be able to pray this morning, breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me, Holy Spirit of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love, and do what thou wouldst do. Art Linkletter a broken-hearted father pleads with you. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.